You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. I am the Pimp Cron. This is the podcast. You click the link. You should know that by now. So, we are the podcast that caters specifically to fluff and casual gamers, and we aim to ignite the spark of hobby, or the flame of hobby, the burning in your loins for the hobby, and honestly, if you have burning in your loins, you probably need some sort of ointment. I would consult a physician. But, uh, we aim to ignite the flame of hobby in everybody. So, what do we have for you tonight? I don't know. Don't ask me that shit. I don't know what we have on my podcast, bitch. Well, I guess I can tell you. This is episode 21, and we have uh, nothing to talk about. This is actually the end of the of this episode, so. Uh, good day. Nah, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that to you, dog. So, tonight, we have a Tesseract mailbox where we have another phone call from another person. Is it just fart noises, or is it actually questions? We will see. It's quite entertaining. Uh, McStorman is on with me for that. And we also have a, well, here's an idea with just James of lethal injection. No, lethal objectives. Now, if your objectives were syringes, it could be lethal injection. But it's, well, here's an idea, lethal objectives. And we also have a real talk with the Pimpcron that actually originated as a, well, here's an idea. And that is with my brother Brooks. My children call him Brew Brew, so I will be referring to him as Brew Brew. That's his radio name, apparently now. And I did not consult him with that. So it is taking quality photographs of your miniatures. And that involves either using your cell phone or using an actual, you know, legitimate camera. Uh, the tools, techniques, and um, tips. Tools, techniques, and tips. I kind of like how that came out. If I didn't stutter in the middle of it of taking good camera photos because we have all painted some kick-ass model and then what do we do we take a photo with our cell phone and it's utter garbage so that originated as a well here's an idea but he had so much to say and i thought it was so interesting that we made that a real talk so actually i think still in the clip it says well here's an idea and guess what i lied okay so we also have a want that or want that not with just James, where we discuss the new Marnius Calgar model and his little two little dudes that come with him. And finally, we have a get brutal with the Pimpcron, and we discuss the once was. We're finishing the once was, which is in the wastes, which is in Supplement One, uh, Lands of the Ether Realm, and we talk about the fauna that is in that area, including. The Frog Mouse, which is a dastardly little bastard, so you should listen to that. So, we have, uh, really, we have no upkeep to do. I'm racking my brain to decide what I need to apologize about last episode, and I cannot think of anything. So, I hope everybody had a good holiday. Uh, tomorrow, when this airs, tomorrow will be New Year's Eve, and that is exciting. So, Enjoy your time off, and let's do this. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. 
Welcome to another edition of the Tesseract Mailbox, and today I'm excited to have a guest with me, and that would be Mr. McStorman. Hello. And I was very excited. This is a monumentous occasion because do you know how many times I have pimped out this phone number? A lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Every episode. I'm like, hey, call the call the phone line. Leave us a voicemail, please. Somebody, dear God, leave me a voicemail. I mean, even, just, even something silly, you know. Yes. Hopefully not, but yeah. Well, we're, so we're really lonely. So, the, so the first time that we got one was someone just called and farted into it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was helpful. We got to talk about that. Yeah. And um, uh, we imagined what the flavor was and whatnot. So, if you feel like calling in, the phone number is. 419-972-1811, and you can leave a voicemail for the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast. But today, we already have a message, and it is from a loving reader, and, well, I think it, I think it speaks for itself, so let's go ahead and yeah. listen to it. Hey, the goddamn, uh, it's the Pimpcron, yeah, I like, uh, I like the word that you guys use. Uh, you got good words. Uh, uh, I listen to you when I'm on the toilet. Uh, uh, I like the pit crime. Also, uh, uh, I think just James got a real nice way about his mouth movement when he's using his mouth to Say word. <laughs> what the so, hell, man? <laughs> so, so uh, uh, what's your first impression? Uh, I don't know. I've never heard of a turlet. <laughs> a turlet. That's an interesting one. Yeah. And uh, there's an awful lot of grunts. Yeah. I, I, I honestly believe he was actually on the toilet as he called in. Yeah. I, I could believe it. That's something not made up. I believe that, too. I think he was actually passing some stuff. Only thing he, well, I was waiting on a kapunk. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting on hearing something. It, it would, I think it would actually finish the call perfectly <laughs> if you heard a flush. Heard a flush. Yeah. <laughs> so. so, if you're listening to this, whoever left that, call in again and flush the toilet. Would, no, would just don't call day. in again. That's But I do appreciate it. at least somebody called in. Yeah, we got a regular. Um, you can and, be a regular guy. And he does seem to like the words that we use mm-hmm. and the words that come out of our mouth. Yep. Uh, specifically, just James's mouth. James's mouth. And the way it forms mm, words. Yes. So that was... <laughs> That was very, I very much appreciate it, Anonymous Caller. He didn't leave, that was the entirety of the message. So he didn't leave his name, nothing like that. But, um, so this is what we're dealing with. This is, um, this is actually call number three, uh, that we've received. The first one was a fart. The (laughs) the second one was a legitimate call. Mm -hmm. And this third one is a semi-legitimate call. Now, I'm not one to argue anytime somebody says they like anything yeah. that I do, I'm fine with it. Yeah. So, um, I mean, one third out of two thirds isn't bad <laughs> yeah. quality. Uh, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> fine. Um, so now maybe he's the one that left the fart message because mm. he does it on the toilet. I have a stalker. Yeah. That's... Podcast stalk troll. I guess a troll would be the better way. Or Pretty sure we're defined. being trolled. Yeah. Mm. But, but we'll take it. Yeah. So. Uh, once again, the phone number, if you guys feel like calling in and hopefully have a legitimate question, is 419-972-1811, one, one, 
And thank you for being on, Mr. McStorman. No problem. Want that or want that not? All right, people. It is time for Want That or Want That Not. And today, this is the Pimpcron, joined by Mr. Just James. How's it going, Mr. Just James? It's going pretty good, man. All right. So we are here to cover the Marnius Calgar Ultramarines Chapter Master box, which appears to be $55 for a brand new Marnius Calgar and two, uh, what are those, company vets, I guess, or uh, uh, company champions? Two members of the Victrix Guard. Victrix. Victrix. A brand new unit exclusive to the Ultramarines. Okay. Reading straight from the site. Yeah, well, I don't read. You know that. So, this is pretty cool that Marnius Calgar is upgraded in Primaris armor, it says. Yep. Now, have you seen the size comparison online for this model compared to the previous one? No, I have not. The This new one, he is like... Uh, the old one comes about chest high to this new one. So, he's clearly much larger. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm, I'm curious, though. If he's in Primaris armor, did they make him a Primaris person i mean did he go through the whole process of becoming a primaris person i don't know i haven't heard anything about that no idea so it's interesting that they would give him larger armor but is he actually a larger dude i have no idea um but anyway so you made an interesting point about this model for marnius is it almost looks like he's got a jump pack yeah it does he's got the vents for the jump pack just above his head i'm curious if he actually does have a jump pack or not he never has in the past yeah so um Honestly, what is your first impression of this Marnie's Calgar model? Um, it's c- kind of bland to me. Uh, I mean, Marnie's Calgar never really was special to me. Didn't really look the, all that impressive. He's just another Ultramarines in an Ultramarine armor. Doesn't look that cool. Yeah. I, I never I never really dug his old pose either, his old model, and I really don't really dig this one either. Uh, honestly, I think his pose is pretty lame. Like, maybe he's, like, rallying the troops, that's why his arm is up. But yeah. he's not even in a fighting pose. He's not, like, it would be way cooler if you, you've seen pictures of him, like, marching with, you know, like, like striding. Yeah. And um, that would be way cooler if he looked like he was doing something. But this is basically him just saying, oh, it's a rally cry or whatever. And what's he got a dead Tyranid down there? uh yeah it looks yeah, it's a head yeah. sideways i think it's a tyranid head um yeah but uh it actually looks like he's uh about to dance do some kind of <laughs> dance yeah he uh i don't know i i just don't if i played ultramarines and i really was into marnius for some reason i guess i would get this model because it is bigger and more imposing than the previous one uh-huh but i don't know i just don't see anything special about it honestly um, now, what does interest me, though, this is the here's the kicker for me, at least. I am much more interested in his Victrix guards because they look pretty sweet to me. Um, I don't know. That's I would hope that's a storm shield and not a combat shield, although it kind of looks like a combat shield. Do combat shields exist in 8th edition? Uh, I thought they did, but they're like a six up invol or five up invol, something like that. I don't know. Remember, they used to have the pistol in the shield, I think it was. Isn't that quite a combat shield? Yeah, yeah, combat shield. Yeah, yeah. So, um, that um, but see, these are larger than most of the combat shields. That's why I was really hoping that for their sake as a model and the stats, I hope it's a storm shield because having that five up or six up in vol or whatever is kind of bullshit. 
Yeah. But aren't those cool models, though? They look just like the company veterans or company champions. And uh, I, I just, for some reason, it really gets me. They have the cape around their shoulders and looks really neat. Uh, it would be neat if it, if they were good for other armies, uh, other chapters as well, not just uh, Ultramarines. Yeah, that's kind of a downer. Um, but honestly, what do you think about this price? $55 for a brand new Marnius Calgar and two Vixtrix guards. Uh, actually, I would say that's not bad because... I'm surprised he didn't sell him by him, Marnius by himself for 55. Yeah, that's the same thing I was thinking, especially now that he's bigger. I mean, he's not Gilliman size, but he's much larger than he was. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting idea to throw in two models. I mean, of course, that's like what two cents for them or something. But <laughs> um, so all in all, uh, this is definitely not a want that for me. But I don't play Ultramarines. But I do want those Victrix guards, if for no other reason than to make. Uh, company champions or something for another yeah you know for another army find someone you know that once marnius split it with them to get the the uh the two guys and they can take the marnius yeah so although you have to dremel off all those ultramarine symbols good god um look yeah yeah on the little belt things on the bottom yep and on the shield and assume i assume on those badge things that hold the cape maybe i mean maybe they're painted on the knee is probably a decal yeah but they just have a you know ultramarines oh and the belt buckle too yeah so there's there's a lot of ultramarine stuff to cut off there but honestly i mean they're 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 pretty sweet models so this would be a want that halfway for me (laughs) uh that would it would be a want that not for me the whole way around (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right well there you have it people we are both uninspired by these new models and uh oh well now here's an idea well boys and girls it's time again for well here's an idea with the pimp cron and today i'm joined by my friend just james i am just james yes he is it is verified he just showed me his license so today the idea is that um Here's an idea. Let's have lethal objectives. So the, you every year you like to have a birthday game where you're just for your birthday, we all get together, and you like to come up with wacky rules for these uh, missions. Right. Like one year it was like what, um, like Zinch was messing with the board, and you had like options you could choose that were either bad for you or good for your opponent. Yeah, the would you rather. Is that- yeah. And um, just different things like that. A lot of just strange missions that you don't normally do. Well, this year you've come up with the idea that this is um, basically a corn realm is where we're fighting. Uh, yes. And that's and the objectives that you hold will also damage you, but that's how you score points. So do you want to go a little bit into that and explain basically the whole mission, and then we'll focus more on the lethal objectives. So I'm still doing the Would You Rathers. It's uh, it's slightly changed because uh, the first time I did it was in seventh edition, and this is eighth edition. And we're I did a summoning table, so you roll two d six at the beginning of your turn. Well, actually, at the beginning of the battle round, and you would bring in whatever the two d six. I have a chart, you know, from two to twelve, and that's the unit you would bring in, uh, re-rolling <clears throat> repeats. Then this game. The new thing that I'm adding is killer objectives. So you want to hold the objective, and but the objective will kill you. 
But the good thing is, is that when it kills you, you that's the points you get. So if you have 10 models within, uh, you know, it's uh, 9 inches I'm going to do. You roll four ups, and for each wound that's taken off from that unit, that's the amount of points you get. So no, four ups are mortals, or or wound models removed. Uh, four ups are are mortals in a sense. Like you can't. There's no. There's not going to be any uh, ignoring them with feel no pain or anything like that. Oh, it's just you. You're straight up taking the wound. Also, so if someone puts one a single unit. Or a unit that uh, each model has multi wounds, you roll for each wound on that model. So then you, if they lose that number of wounds, that's how many points you get. Um, so so in case someone like puts a uh, Titanic vehicle on it, they roll that number, the number of dice equal to the amount of wounds it has on it. Uh huh. And on four ups, whatever, however many they get, that's how many points they get. That's interesting. So I really like the idea of messing with objectives and rules for objectives. Like, for instance, I've come up with ideas before for having civilians or humans that are the objective, you know, and you're trying to catch them or kill them or whatever, and they're randomly scattering around the board because they're running, etc. Well, I've never had the idea that you would actually have a uh, lethal objective until you mentioned this. So I thought it was a really neat idea that, you know, you're fighting so hard to get whatever this thing is, yeah. but you're going into it knowing full well that it's going to kill you or damage your people. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Um, and you had already talked about prior that there's kind of a strategy there where if you know somebody's holding the objective, you know they're going to get points for being damaged by the objective, so you want to kill them before they can be damaged by the objective and get the victory points. Right. They, they can only score points by the wounds that they take Yeah. from the objective, not from... Uh, the opponent killing them. I think this is a really good example of taking one aspect of the game and turning it on its head to have a completely different effect on the game. Something that you never normally would deal with. Now, we're, we're all familiar, anybody that plays Age of Sigmar, or even, uh, what it used to be called, Mysterious Train, is that even a thing in this edition? Uh, no, it's not. Okay. Well, thank God, because no one ever... Mysterious Objectives, you mean? Yeah, Mysterious Objectives. Um, Age of Sigmar has Mysterious Train. Yeah. Where you you know you don't know what it is it either whatever, and nobody ever plays with that either. So. Yeah. Um, now mysterious objectives was actually a thing in seventh and sixth edition, right? Yeah, it was uh, part of the mission. Oh, it was just the mission. Okay, so it wasn't the the basic rules necessarily. No, but most of the missions that you played that had objectives had that special rule of mysterious objectives. Ah, okay. Well, and those could be, you know, increasing your armor save, or it could be, uh, one of them was like a bomb or something. Uh, if you rolled a one, it, it was a, a booby-trapped or it detonated, and then it would do whatever it did. I don't remember, but uh, yeah. we hard when we ever played Mysterious Objectives, we would always forget to do that. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's basically how that goes. But like I said, um, this to me feels like a brand new way to deal with objectives because... Um, you know, like I said, the whole the whole idea that it's lethal to you. So there's a whole other aspect to this, too, and it's the same reason why I like to change the format for Shorehammer tournaments. And the reason for that is is that it changes the meta completely. It, uh, As I already used this phrase, but I'll say it again, it turns it on its head because mostly when you deal with power gaming players, they know the meta inside and out, and they know how to deal with the meta, and they 
can look online to see how to use their armor army properly in a normal game. But when you change something like this, um, it changes the way that you have to play your armies, and people are not used to that. So it really levels the playing field because everybody has to think on their feet. And you don't have the internet backing you. Or you couldn't have made a list for this specific thing that you read on the internet because the format is so different. Um, you remember a couple years ago, um, Mr. Matt and uh, Bliggity Blam Steve and Tim and me and you. I think that was everybody. I don't think... That, I don't was think Tim, Tim not there? No. It was just me, you... Me, you, Mr. Pimpron, Mr. Matt, and Mr. <laughs> Bliggity Blam Steve. Oh, okay. Well... We were playing in my living room. This was years ago, maybe four years ago, three years ago. Yeah, a while ago. And we didn't really think much of it when we made an L-shaped board. So it was two six-foot boards, but it was in an L-shape. And one team was on the inside of the L, and one side was on the outside of the L. And as we were playing the game, we all made weird mistakes that we normally wouldn't make because the board was L-shaped, and we weren't expecting the game to be so different on an L-shaped board versus just a straight line board. And, um, I mean, the game was a lot of fun. Do you remember that game? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I just woke you up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty fun game. Uh, like you said, we made a lot of mistakes. Uh, everyone gave 110%. No. <laughs> I'd like to thank my sponsors, uh, Valvoline and... But, uh... Yeah, so just like this, I think people will make mistakes because they're not expecting the format to be so different, but at least everyone's going to be making similar mistakes, and you really have to think on your feet. Yeah. Uh, I know we have a Tau player coming, hopefully. He said he's coming, but uh, I would like to see what how he reacts to this, what he's going to do. Um, that would be pretty interesting. Because under normal circumstances, he's never going to be charging forward Correct. Yeah. yeah. Uh, same thing with like a um, Imperial Guard gun, gun line would be the same way. You would not expect them to be charging forward, but yeah. You know. So Although I did when I was test playing it. I did play with a, a guard player, and he was able to get a lot of his guardsmen on an objective, and he uh, like almost his whole squad was wiped out, giving him like thirty points just there. So, wow. Yeah, that might be good there. <laughs> well there you go here's an idea let's have some lethal objectives and this was all courtesy of just james's idea it wasn't really mine my birthday party game that's right and it's gonna be at chuck e cheese on december <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> all right bye now it's time for real talk with pimp cron hey y'all it's the pimp cron and this is, well, here's an idea. Today, I'm joined by my brother, Brooks. My children call him Brubru. So say hello to everybody, Brubru. Hello, everybody. And we've been told that we sound alike. It's kind of like we're brothers or something. So if we sound alike, just know that if, if he's mentioning anything that involves technology or cameras, that is not Pempcron. That is Brubru. This is actually just you talking to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, podcasturbating, it's called. <laughs> so... so Anyway, the topic today is how to take great photographs of your miniatures and exactly what that entails. And it's surprisingly kind of complicated if you want to take good photographs of your models. So naturally, I'm sure all of you have taken a uh, miniature selfie at some point where, you know, you'd spend all this time assembling or kitbashing or whatever model, 
and you paint it and you're at least somewhat proud of your paint job or you're looking for you know uh criticism or help online you know like one hour a night um uh, the facebook group or something like that so most of the time i know that i can take a picture of one of my models that i think looks good in real life and it's utter shit when i take a photograph of it and try to post (laughs) it on facebook and it's weird because it's like maybe your eye maybe your brain like plays with your eyes like you look at it and your brain fills in the gaps but when you take a photograph of it it's like a solid image of what it actually Mm -hmm. is maybe that's the case but um, so I have always struggled, just like with sound quality on this podcast, <laughs> I've always struggled with photograph quality. So I'm sure the question, first of all, on everybody's mind is, do you need some fancy camera or can you just use a average cell phone camera to take a good picture of a model? It's another one of those questions that's kind of like, you don't have to, but it absolutely helps. million, <laughs> 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 you know, like... Like, for example, for cell phones and stuff, you typically have a very, very small image sensor. You can just look at the lens on the back of your phone and see how small the sensor is. I mean, there has to be a little sensor at the base of that lens. So the problem is the smaller the sensor you have, the less light it brings in. So you can use your cell phone to take pictures of, of small objects like that, but your lighting has to be amazing. Um, and like, you know, most phones and stuff are meant for taking pictures of people or landscaping, things like that. They're not things far away. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what everybody takes pictures of, but you can't, it's, they're not really optimized for taking pictures of really tiny detail on a small scale, very close to the camera. Uh And you'll notice a lot of times too, like if you stick your phone directly, or at least most phones directly against the model and try to focus on it, it's It's not, it's just not going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's not made for that. Um, so, uh, it, um, it, that's, that's one of the benefits of having an actual, photography camera nice one that has a larger image sensor that basically gives you more room to work with the amount of light you bring in um for example i mean i use a micro four thirds camera but let's just say the inch the uh, lens is roughly like an inch in diameter so it's it compared to the little tiny one in the back of your phone oh so it lets in a lot more light so to make a good picture with a model with a cell phone you're saying that lighting is key oh yeah and and it the problem is like where where the lighting is so difficult it's easy to blow it out and be way too bright mm-hmm. and it's easy to be too dark. And so you want, you want a lot of a very l- flat, not overly bright light, but from all directions, <laughs> you and, know, and what color would that be? Uh, probably a whitish. I mean, you can go for some other effects, but probably white, you know, stands out the best. Cause I think like a warm bulb would probably mess with the colors, obviously. Yes. And it also kills some of your detail. Um, but again, it kind of goes with the effects you're going for. But uh-huh. if you're trying to go for absolute detail, especially for criticism, then yeah, I would do something like a super, super, super white light. Now, I'm sure they have to have some sort of background, some sort of backdrop. Is there a particular color that you think would work better for a backdrop of a model? Or I typically like white. Um, I mean, it probably stands out the best. Again, it's another effect thing in what you're going for. But mm-hmm. if you're really trying to stand out, because if you think about it, most of your models are relatively dark like uh-huh. they may not be black or dark brown but they're they're on the darker scale rather than being right bright flamboyant you know true and even if it was a bright flamboyant model it would probably look better with a lighter background yes yeah so well i guess also i mean potentially it could be because you know black absorbs light etc cetera, etc cetera. and if you have good lighting source then that gives you good reflection from the back if you're lighting up your model it lights up the whole background a lot better too and makes it stand out better now would it be possible to zoom in to the model with your camera? Like if you, you know, you pinched it and zoomed? Yeah, um, generally speaking, that's not usually the best thing because most most phones do software zooming. 
Um, there's some phones, I think some of the iPhones and stuff now, and all the new phones that are coming out have multiple different cameras with different zoom levels. Uh -huh. So they would be a better alternative if you have that. But most of the time when you're zooming on a camera, you're doing a software zoom. So it's really no different than if you just took the picture, went to your computer and zoomed in with your mouse. So, and you can, and everybody's always seen when you do that, you start to get a grainy look when you zoom in that much. So you say a software zoom, what would a normal camera, like your fancy camera, how does that zoom? That actually has moving physical elements that actually telescope. Different the, lenses? Different lenses, yeah, that actually separate from each other and give you that effect. Just no different than a telescope or pair of binoculars. Okay, so is most of the things, most of the features on a cell phone, are they just software? Um, I would say yes, and again, don't quote me on it because there's a lot of new phones that have better features and multiple cameras and things, but in general, yeah. A lot of the stuff, like some of the bokeh effects you can get, which is the blurriness you can get with out-of-focus images and, or parts of an image, um, a lot of times that's just done in software, which can still be a wonderful thing, but it's it's kind of like a, a hack fix to not be able to do the real thing, you know? Yeah. You can still make wonderful, amazing images with it, but it's still it's not the real thing. So the bottom line here with using a cell phone camera is that lighting would be key, probably white light, mm -hmm. and we would guess probably a white background. Yeah. Would probably be best. And you want even light. Yes, very even and not overly bright because you can overdo that too. Okay. You can immediately see when you're using too much of a bright light that you, you know, you go from not being able to see detail to seeing detail to now you can't see any detail anymore because it's being blown out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, too much light. Yeah, it's... Um, so, like a deer spotlight. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's move on from that. I think we've got a good, um, so you don't necessarily need, if you've got good lighting and a good background and nice, white, even lighting, a cell phone camera is probably fine. Oh, another thing with the zooming too is that something I've noticed is mo most cell phone cameras nowadays take pretty high resolution images. Mm -hmm. So what I would recommend doing is, you know, you of course can't focus when it's super close to the model. So back off to where you can get it in focus, take a picture of it without zooming in then throw it on your computer and zoom it in and crop it to what looks best to you. Because then on the computer screen, you can tell when it starts to get grainy when you're zooming in and looking at it large. Where you couldn't on a uh, Where cell you can't tell as easily on a cell phone because your pixel density is way less. Okay, or so way that's, tighter. that's kind of a hack for zooming in. Yeah. Where you're, you get as close as you can with still good resolution. Mm -hmm. And then you go on the computer and actually like zoom in. Yeah. Keeping the resolution, hopefully, and yep. crop it. Because a lot of cameras will take 4K photos, and, well, getting a 1080p photo out of 4K is still easy. That's just a quarter of the picture. So yeah. it's still it's still a very good image that most people would see just fine. Okay, so I think you've answered most people's questions about using cell phones with single models, but um, this is something a cell phone really can't do well. What about taking... Um, you've done some photo shoots with me with um, for brutality with my models, and we set up, like, a scene, like a city or a jungle and that sort of stuff. Um... A cell phone really can't handle that because it's usually the picture is too large and and uh, you know it can't focus on everything at one point. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you use your good camera for that. What what is your? I call it a good camera. I'm sure there's like billion dollar cameras. Yeah, oh, yeah. Use, but <laughs> yeah. compared to a cell phone camera, <laughs> yeah. um, what type of camera is this that you use? Um, I use a Panasonic Lumix G7, which is a micro four thirds format camera with interchangeable lenses. Okay. Um, it's in, I think you can get them now in the four to 500 range for it. Um, they're wow. really not bad. Of course, the lenses can be anywhere from a hundred dollars to a thousand dollars for them. Um, but that's, that's a little bit on the cheaper end. You can go bigger 
sensors and you know higher quality but to me it's a good compromise because i'm not a professional photographer so it's me to learn like you, you see those guys on the sidelines of the nfl and they've got like got to have like twenty thousand dollars in lenses and attached just to their just one lens yeah. on a camera on a camera that costs ten thousand dollars so yeah it, it <laughs> so, all right so um uh now you you are also um everyone probably already knows but you're also my head of technology at shorthammer and we just wrapped up shorthammer recently and you ran around and you were taking all kinds of photographs specifically of our narrative battle, but of the whole con itself. Now, you took a lot of really neat pictures of the narrative battle. Um, do you want to say anything about how you accomplished that with so many people sitting around the table and, and all that? Um, it definitely is dif- different from your normal at home trying to take your photo shoot model of your, <laughs> of your image, you know, because like... At home, you can get perfect lighting. You're not movement. You can set up a tripod if you need to. You have, you know, things aren't in your way. Mm-hmm. It's difficult at a convention like that because I'm trying not to interrupt them playing because everything's going on. And so I need to shoot around people. I'm moving a lot, so I'm not necessarily the most steady thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Although my camera has image stabilization, you still got to be, you know, fairly stable. Um, people are in your way. I'm shooting, you know, I've been shooting underneath people's arms and between people's <laughs> bodies and stuff like, you know, and, and uh, so... Where a macro lens would be really good normally for taking images, where, where it's super clear, you can get really close to it with the physical camera. I actually use like a 100 to 300 millimeter lens on mine, which is like a telephoto lens, which lets me stand way off from the table and actually get to take pictures. You know, like I'm standing at one end of the table and taking pictures of model at the other end of the table. Which is 18 feet long. Yeah, which is 18 feet away. Yeah. So you're it's basically a telescoping lens. Yeah, basically, yeah. Okay. Um, and that lets me be able to get in and out of people better. And, you know, it, it's... They, it, you don't necessarily get the nice crisp images as you would at a closer focal length and at, at like a macro lens, but given the conditions, it's kind of what you have to work now, with with so many that? people. Um, because the telephoto lenses, you typically get softer, not as much light because you have so many elements and so much to go through in the lens itself. So, the so more lenses? Uh, yeah, because those, they're made up of all kinds of different prisms and stuff inside the lenses. Wow. So the more junk you have in it. No matter the quality, it's you like, will have a degradation in light, you know. Now, I could buy, another, like you said, a $30,000 lens and probably fix that, but, you know, I can't afford that within reason. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's why, like, um, if, like, a prime lens, a fixed prime lens, like I have a 25mm prime, that's absolutely beautiful What's because it's... a it, prime lens? A fixed focal length. It's not zoom oh. at all. It's just a fixed um, lens. But what's nice about that is there's no moving parts. There's not multiple. There's not... There's less lenses and elements inside the... Um, I should be saying elements. Lenses is confusing. Elements in the lens on it. So less interference. It's going through less yes. filters, technically. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay. So so that and it lets in a tremendous amount of light, and I can even take awesome pictures at nearly dark outside because it take brings in so much light. But you lose the ability to telescope and to, you know move in and stuff. Now, um, most of us at least have a rudimentary understanding of how a camera works, but. You keep talking about like um, the aperture and light absorption, you know, getting light into the sensor and all of that. Um, how exactly do you take a really clear picture from afar? Like, is there a way to, obviously your lens, but is there a way to, a technique to make a better picture from afar? Really all it is is, the, you can probably go into a whole thesis on photography that's above me, but uh-huh. the two things that I look for is obviously your light level, and your focus, or your your depth of field, or, you know, your actual distance of what's in focus in the image on it. And that's pretty much what I look for. You can adjust that with your aperture setting, which is how big the actual uh, opening is inside the lens internally, how much light it lets through. Uh-huh. 
there's your shutter speed, which is how long the sensor is exposed to whatever it's looking at through the lens. Uh-huh. Um, and then there's an ISO setting, which is brightness on it. Um, basically, and it can be difficult. There's a lot of adjustments with that because aperture and shutter speed go hand in hand. If you have a smaller aperture opening, you're letting in less light so that your shutter speed has to be left, your shutter has to be left open longer so you get more light in okay. kind of thing. The problem with that is, is that you run into motion issues because you're leaving, you know, you've ever seen those dramatic photos of you see all the motion blur. Well, that's a long shutter speed. Yeah. But, and in static cases, it's not a problem if you're just taking pictures at home in low light. In my case, it's a problem because I'm running around a table with moving people and shadows and everything else. It's so difficult. if you move or they bump the model or a shadow passes it, by, you or immediately any start of that. to get blur in the image. Okay. Um, so that's just the thing. But again, that's if you can set it up on a tripod and at home and you have low lighting conditions, you can do that because shutter speed doesn't matter. Nothing's moving in the image. Now I remember you took a picture in the dark on a tripod, but you left the shutter. Uh, that was open. a that was a one minute shutter speed. <laughs> one minute. <laughs> yep. So in that minute. It was able to absorb all the light in the room and brighten the picture, basically. Yes. You can see. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's pretty neat, yep. actually. And, uh... So, I have a question. Um, sometimes in photograph, you'll get either the foreground or the, I guess, background in or out of focus. Or something in the center of the picture will be in focus and other things aren't, or whatever. What determines that? And are there different ways to get longer or shorter focus so that's basically considered the depth of field or what's in your the actual focus range you know when you're taking a picture between the foreground and the background yes yeah um there is and it's it's really dependent on your lenses and the lighting levels and really your aperture setting so the larger the aperture or the more light you let in the deeper your focus distance will be or your your depth of field but i'll say focus distance to be better understandable for it okay um but the the problem with that is light level. Sometimes you can light in too much light if the scene is too bright. Um, really? It can and, actually and blow out the out. image. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, now, a lot of times you can reduce your shutter speed to avoid that. But that, And on a lot of cameras, you'll see that you can go into full manual mode and do this automatic or do this manually. But a lot of times you can do like aperture priority or shutter priority. So that if you do aperture priority, it'll control the shutter automatically for you on the back end to try to keep the light level fine. Hmm. So you can control your aperture and get the depth of field you need. And the camera's handling the shutter on the back end just to try to make it the light fine. Or you can do shutter speed, like sometimes I've uh, photographed uh, drifting events, where I want that blurriness. So I and manually... Drifting as in racing. Yeah, actually, like, yeah, like formula drift events. Yeah. And um, you can actually leave the shutter speed really long, and it automatically does the aperture for me. But that way, if I follow a car through a corner, the background's blurry, but the car is perfectly that's still. That's cool. And it makes yeah. a really neat effect. But that's just things you can do, you know, different stuff settings on the camera you can use. That's neat. Or a picture you've seen of someone running and the the background's all blurred. Yes, yep. yeah. That's them following it in a long shutter speed, but then but you have to follow the target perfectly the, the speed to it. Now you said um what's what's the focus called in the picture? What's that called? The depth, depth of field. Depth Your of focus field. range basically. Can cell phone picture uh, cell phone cameras do that? Or is that... Not as well, um, because, again, they're kind of meant to take a picture of nearly anything large you could ever want to look at. Yeah, and, so, and the real issue here is that we're taking pictures of tiny stuff. Yes, yeah. Like, if, <laughs> if the real Stormcast guy was standing seven feet tall, you could take a picture it of It wouldn't be a leg. problem. Yeah and, yeah, and your iPhone would do an amazing job. Yeah. <laughs> like, so. so I think that just about wraps up everything. Is there anything else you'd like to um, tell anybody, like, as far as tips or anything for taking photographs of a scene or a board? Something I really like is uh, I've seen a lot of people that take pictures down on, like, from your angle from where you're playing. Top down. 
And in a lot of cases, you can't help it because you're in the middle of a map. So it, there's a lot of cases where you can't help that. Mm-hmm. But um, not only does that expose your bases on your models a lot easier to see and kind of kills a little bit of your realism. Yeah. Um, but uh, something I love to do is to shoot flat on the table. So per- perfectly perpendicular with the table, level across. Them. Like horizontal. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and it gives you such because you can hide the bases or even if you see the base, you're seeing the edge of it. So it's not really as pronounced as looking down on it. And then it gives you that eye level view into everything. And especially like in Shorehammer where that the, the uh, narrative battle was such a dense scene, it mm-hmm. looks amazing. And I can get situations to where um, uh, I, you can, I was actually taking pictures of a unit on the other side of a building through a door. So the, <laughs> so the building I'm looking through is blurry. You see through the door and you see the person there. And it gives you, it gives you like, this is real, like I'm That's here. That's cool. You know, kind of look. And I really like that because it hides everything. And when you're looking horizontal or slightly up, it lets you hide bases and things like, or even dice, you know, in that case, it lets you hide things uh, easier. Because we all obviously know it's a game and obviously we all look down at it. So, um, so it's interesting to get that like boots on the ground. I hate to use that phrase, but boots (laughs) on the ground view of you you are actually on the field. Because you normally don't see the tops of buildings and walls. So try not to in your image. But again, I realize it's something you can't always do, especially in a dense map. And also shooting, like you said, through a door or something. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it gives you the, it it forces you to be at a more reasonable level to, you know, to us. Now, one suggestion I would say that goes along with what you say is that if Games Workshop is actually quite good at covering their bases, in pictures mm. so if anybody wants any suggestions for that or any examples of that i mean is to open up a white dwarf or any um codex book or anything like that with pictures of models because they do a very good job of like putting a piece of debris in front of a base or whatever and it's stuff that you don't even notice that they did but it looks way better when the base is, is yes yeah hidden. oh yeah yep yeah yeah because i've noticed that with the pictures and again I, i'm kind of being a stickler it's not like pictures look bad if you can see the base but if you're going for, if you're trying to look for an ultra-realistic picture, it's kind of hard to have the base in view. And no matter how well you paint it or make it look, you can kind of tell there's the base there. <laughs> you know, so really hard to get the absolute perfect pictures if you're looking down on the model. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I've learned a lot, and I'm always interested in, in things like uh, photography and science in general. So it's interesting that you have um, explained this for us. And I don't know anything about any of it, so I'm glad you came on, Brew Brew. Oh, thank you. And... As always, it's a pleasure talking to you, except when it's not. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> and, and I would also like to publicly thank you again for all of your hard work at Shorehammer, all the photography, all the award ceremony presentation, all the, um, the matchup program that you did, all that stuff, because I don't know anything about any of that. So I, I appreciate that you do. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> and this is Toodles from the Pimp Crown and Brew Brew. Let's get brutal. Well, I guess from the bumper music, you can tell what time it is. It is time for Let's Get Brutal with the Pimpcron, where we discuss my 28mm free rolls, use your own models, skirmish war game with RPG light elements. And we are currently covering the first expansion or supplement called The Wastes. And last time, on the last episode... We had just finished all the flora and the people that live in the Once Was, which is an area that has been ravaged by some unknown force, whether it was a civilization or it was um, Ishtar herself or whatever. Nobody really knows. So this is just a bleak and harsh place. So we're going to wrap that up today with the fauna of the Once Was. So the Once Was 
is no more habitable for blank creatures as it is for the victims of Ishtar's plot. Rodents are not hard to come by, and they make up most of the meat that can be found here. There are over 20 known rat and mouse species that bother the people of this area. From the tusked brith rat to the sneaky and dexterous frog mouse, they have them all. The brith rat is known for working in packs and using the weakest of its group to act as a distraction, while the strongest ones steal food to be stored and shared among themselves. The frog mouse, on the other hand, is also called the devil mouse, due to the fact that it is small enough to fit in your palm and able to walk across your ceiling. Many a person has shot a hole in their roof in a fit of exasperation and rage at the subtle but constant theft of their hard-won food. These little bastards need not hide from you when so few people ever look up. Spider mouse, spider mouse. There is a species of rock creature called a rockman, that stands about the height of a human man and sleeps out in the open. Animated by some unknown force, they sleep in plain sight and have been the focus of many humorous and harrowing tales. When traveling across such a depressing region, where else is it better to take a rest and sit down than a pile of rocks? Rockmen fold up when they sleep and have beaten unnold, uh, untold numbers of us unassuming travelers to death when sat on and woken. They do not eat and live alone, but act similar to a gorilla when agitated, and can easily take on several people at a time with their rocky physique. Reproduction is unknown, if at all, and they rest on an eerie line between sentient person and blank. So many of the actual blanks in brutality um, seem like regular animals, but this one is actually an, almost like a rock golem. Nobody knows exactly what animates it, and it is, a, it is as far as they know, a blank. It uh, it does not reincarnate when it when it uh, dies. So the final area of the wastes that we will cover is called Swords Break, and this is a very interesting area. The uh, Swords Break isn't so much a region as it is a humongous landmark shrouded in mystery. Swords Break is a massive hole in the ground with no bottom, surrounded by small mountains of broken armor and swords. So somewhat think of like a landfill of broken equipment. It seems that this place may be some sort of dump for broken weapons and equipment, but the puzzle doesn't end there. All manner of screams echo out of the chasm in every language, and being within earshot of it for too long will drive the strongest mind into madness. Who or what is down there is anyone's guess, because few ever make it to the edge of the massive hole. Nobody really lives in this location, and the only visitors it does get are treasure hunters or scrappers. Those who have found themselves here all have a similar tale to tell. They are minding their own business with no signs of danger when they suddenly wake back up at their last spawn point, as if they were just killed, but have no recollection of how or why they are back at camp. Everything from snipers to curses are looked at as the explanation, but nobody is sure why this happens. So, it's interesting that you would just be walking around the swords break and, you know, scrapping or trying to scavenge items or, or whatever. And all of a sudden, bloop, you're back home as if you just died. You felt no pain. You've got no idea why you just went back there. Some people say it may actually be like a sort of glitch in the matrix of the ether realm. Uh, others, you know, think maybe there's just a timer to keep people from scrapping too long or whatever. Getting an uh, upper hand. And... Uh, so the only recorded person of note to actually live amongst the mountains of equipment is the old android of the break, named Duncan M12. 
M12 is a bot that scours the break for weapons, items, and armor that he offers to travelers in exchange for crystals or android parts of any sort. Duncan is a well-known persona in these parts and is under direct protection of the Colgite Matrix due to his incredible salvaging and repair abilities. He finds useful items for travelers, repairs them, and sells them. The crystals and android parts he has paid with are used to bolster the Matrix's stock of life-saving materials. Because of this reason, he doesn't see too much hassle from strangers unless they're foolish. There are dozens of large yellow buttons stationed around the break, and all you have to do is push it to get M12's attention. Within a minute or so, a burning smell will enter the area, and in a flash of green heat, Duncan arrives, ready to do business. Now, there is a town very close to Swords Break, but I don't think we have enough time to get into that tonight. It's called Red Camp, and boy, is it strange. So, we will get into that next week, and as always, I very much appreciate you listening to our podcast, and I will see you next week.